1: Welcome to 3, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. It is time to preview Wimbledon 2022. Nadal and Djokovic are playing. They are on opposite halves of the draw this time. So we will not have a repeat of the very strange and debatably unfortunate situation that we had a month ago at Roland Garros where they played in the quarterfinal Novak Djokovic is the one seed I want to start with him and Joel this Wimbledon feels particularly important for Novak given what this season has been for him uh whereas I I think with Nadal you could make an argument that it's kind of like house money Uh, okay I haven't played this event in a couple of years I've won the first two majors of the year we'll see what happens uh whereas for Djokovic defending champion now down two in the slam count it feels very important
0: I think mostly it's the moment of Wimbledon itself and a major and Novak hasn't won a major this year uh he hasn't lost to Wimbledon in five years I mean it's interesting how just what last September we were looking at him possibly winning a calendar slam and then he lost at the US Open. He wasn't able to play Australia. He lost at Roland Garros. So yeah, there's, there's definitely some urgency he's bringing to this. I think it's less concerned about the slam tally and much as his own personal desire to win this tournament for a seventh time and for the fourth year in a row.
2: He is in an interesting headspace right now, and I would love to see him get back to a little bit into fourth or fifth gear. The interesting thing about this draw is, as you mentioned, Gil, it's kind of a relief that the Nadal and Djokovic are on opposite ends. It, the the draw to me feels balanced. Um, I actually really, you know, you guys know, like I call them like I see them. I, I like Novak's draw for Novak. Um, I won't use the word easy, but um, I like Novak's draw better than Rafa's draw for Rafa. and. Um, yeah, it, it is important to him. He wants to get back to his winning ways. And it's it's a real mystery. It's a, We're at a pivotal turning point. We don't know what's going to happen next with him. But he is the defending champion.
1: Not only is he the defending champion, he's the three-time reigning defending champion. Obviously, there was the interruption with Wimbledon not being played in 2020. He's won four out of the last six Wimbledons. I think he separated himself. On on the surface, in in recent years, and you know Roger was right there in 2019 after Federer beat Nadal in the semifinal. But uh, we've come into a lot of Wimbledon's, at least I have, thinking you know or feeling like like Djokovic is is a pretty crystal clear favorite, whereas you know maybe the the list of contenders feels a little bit heavier or weightier on hard court and then obviously on 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 clay is a whole nother story with Nadal generally being uh the favorite coming into Paris so uh, I guess why um how would you what's the first thing that you would highlight to explain Djokovic's Wimbledon dominance Amy
2: the serve would be his improved acumen on the serve um but also just his ability to break down that particular opponent. Um, I think to win, you know, the, the Epic, when he beat Rafa, Um, what year was that 2018? Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, it, it, it took a certain type of of mentality that he hadn't faced earlier to that point in the tournament. And um, so it's more like, opponent specific scouting that he's done a really good job with because grass is such a mixed bag. I mean, you get like clay court specialists that are seated high. Um, You get young guys who don't have a lot of grass experience. They're unproven on the surface, but they're unproven on the surface. Maybe, maybe they begin to emerge as a really good grass court player. So it's Wimbledon is such a mixed bag and such a, with each round, you don't know what you're going to get that. I think Novak has done an amazing job of opponent-specific, tailored game plan and, um, and, and the improved serve as well.
0: My thought is it's Novak's, his balance, his posture. I think the grass surface really tests the lower body of a player. And I think his fitness and flexibility and agility in that way help him sustain himself through round after round. I mean, I think that was very apparent in the Federer final he won in 2019, how Novak's ability to to engage in that airtight. You know, it's it's one thing to say, when I play tiebreakers, I'm not going to miss. It's another thing to actually have the tools that allow you to do that. To, stay, to maintain the posture and the balance and the depth. I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't a, a 14 and under event where you just decide I'm gonna keep the ball in play. This is the highest, highest levels of the game. And I think Novak really has his, uh, I'm really impressed to see how, to, to watch his balance. I mean, this guy, he's, he's won this He's won this six times, he win this this year. He'll win it as often as Pete Sampras did. And it's a different kind of playing style. And uh, so it's very impressive.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that, Joel. I feel like from a movement perspective, it's not particularly close. Like Djokovic moves the best on grass because of the way he kind of conquers the surface from a from a sliding perspective. Uh, I find that a lot of players feel like they have to walk on eggshells a little bit when they get on the grass because it's a slick surface. Uh, we, we see slips. Uh, I think conventional wisdom suggests that you have to take more, you know, smaller steps on grass to kind of uh, soften your changes of direction because you don't have that traction. I feel like Djokovic is just like, you throw that out out the window. He, he moves like he's playing on clay. And I think it's the balance and the strengths of the ankles and the legs that enable him to do that. So uh, I agree with that. And then the other thing for me is the, the fast court returning uh, the same edge that I think Andy Murray had on grass. I feel like obviously it's a server surface um, and there are a lot of players like what we might see with Matteo Berrettini as a contender, Hubert Hurkacz as a contender uh, who, who serve incredibly big. They might get very few opponents who can actually return their serve enough to break serve at an acceptable rate. Uh, and then there are just a couple of guys, and, and we're talking about maybe two, three guys who return well enough to actually make them play. And Djokovic is always in that group um, of, of players who he's not going to be daunted by a massive elite serve, even on grass.
0: I think also Novak, I think this might be the year where we begin to crystallize grass court genius because so many of these Wimbledons that he's won there's been the Federer storyline the eternal genius of Roger wondering about Nadal other contenders and and Novak a few years ago kind of slipped down the radar around around 2017 but now we start to see wait a second look at this guy look how well he does and I think some of his his fundamentals the way he was trained the way he was taught really surfaces on the grass because that that healthy aspect is so important on this surface. I mean, you get, you're right, you get those twists, you get those groin pulls, you get all these things. And so his, his road work, just like in the same way that Nadal's road work helps him on clay. <clears throat> we see that all the discipline Rafa puts to being great on clay. I think in some ways it's, you see it even more with Novak on grass than his, let's say his natural hard court. I mean, it's very clear in Australia, but then everybody's got some of that going in Australia, but grass, it really, really starts to stand out.
2: Well, let's not overlook <laughs> the obvious that Novak plays well on fast courts. I mean, that's just sort of in his DNA. Um, He also plays well on slow courts like clay, but um, this is where he really emerges as elite. Um, You know, you guys were talking about like, who can return, you know, like Novak is in that group who can move well. Um, on the surface and and the there's one name that keeps coming up in my head and that name is Rafa Nadal. I I don't want to skip ahead but I just watched some highlights of him uh, 2019 versus Query at Wimbledon because Query is in his little section. Uh, I think they could meet in the second round. I, I was just stunned at how beautifully Rafa was moving on the surface Um, and it's it's a reminder that this guy can also contend
0: totally and I think with Nadal though I think with Nadal it's 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 movement to get to the ball to track to the ball I think Novak Nadal strikes me as foot speed and coverage and getting there and tracking these and certainly he can return while I think of Novak it's like it's footwork it's the discipline of moving around the ball not just getting not not just getting to the ball but how he organizes his feet and his technique. I mean, we're talking about two guys who, who've won multiple Wimbledon titles, but I think it's a little different how they each do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Looking at Djokovic's draw, uh, Alcaraz is the top seed opposite Novak. Then you have mm-hmm. uh, names like Sinner, Opelka, Isner, uh, Basilashvili, and Ketsmanovic as some, some lower seeds in the quarter. Uh, two unseeded players that catch my eye. I mean, mostly Andy Murray uh, is is the name that everyone will be circling. Uh, But I will say James Duckworth, Andy Murray's uh, first round opponent, is someone, when healthy, who's been really good at Wimbledon. I think he he at least made the third round last year, maybe the fourth, and he's kind of a grass court specialist uh, out of Australia. So that's one to watch, in my opinion. Um, Joel, uh, I guess, look, I think it's most important, as we've seen, is not you know, who's the second round? Who's the third round? But who's the quarterfinal? I mean, that's generally what what what's more important. I mean, what do you make of Alcaraz, Joel, coming into Wimbledon?
0: I mean, Alcaraz is kind of interesting. He's going to, um, you know, this is his Wimbledon as a, now he's on the radar. Now we've seen him and he had a reasonable go at Roland Garros. And I see, let's see, he's going to play, um oh, he's going to play our old friend Struff. Yeah. And the, the, the Mr. the, the least. Yeah who's, who's
2: a, a good grass court player, by the way,
0: who's kind of dangerous. I think the way, I think the way it works for a young hopeful contender grass has its other form of humbling. Clay has the humbling for the contender of, Oh my, these long points, particularly for someone who hasn't played on clay in, as much, but then Alcaraz is going to be playing someone like Struff. They're going to be numerous points where the racket's going to be out of, taken out of his hands just because of the grass and the kind of opponents. So, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Alcaraz handles that. Um, kick serve, not always as significant on grass as it is on other surfaces. Right. So I think I think in time he'll be fine, but I think it's going to be um, intriguing. I wouldn't be surprised if that opening match is a four setter with a guy like Surf. I could see a, a 5 7 in there where suddenly, I mean, Wimbledon, things happen so quickly that shift a set. And, you know, a guy takes a couple of good cracks and Next, you know, he breaks serve. So uh, I don't know. It'll, it'll be, and it'll also be just fun to see Alcaraz, to see the joy he brings to competition, bringing it to the All England Club.
2: I think we have to be careful not to peg Alcaraz too early as somebody who is a clay court guy or a slow hard court guy who can't contend on grass um i mean i, I see him more as an all-surface player i was looking at some of his serve statistics and it's funny i was googling and one of my own articles came up and i didn't even remember the stuff that i had written about his serve. but um he has really good power he just doesn't necessarily always use it so his um max speeds can get up in the high 130s but his average speeds are around the 120s so that lets me know that he's capable of pumping it up it's just um not not the norm for him the power's the
1: never, it's never been the problem though. It's, it's really the spots. that Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. And, and I mean, I, I could be speaking out of turn here, but I think that as you get older, typically the spot serving gets better. Um, so uh, I, I think what I'm trying to say in all this is don't sell Alcaraz short this tournament. Um, he could be a major contender. He, it, it this first round match is going to tell us a lot. Totally. Um, but after that, uh, he's in decent shape. And, um, in terms of Andy Murray, you know, he's been hurt. So I I would have said two weeks ago that he was a dangerous floater, but we just don't know. Um, and then I looked up Kekmanovich and Basilevili and their grass court, um, Records are just so so. I don't think anybody's above 500 on grass. So it's um it's a good opportunity for Novak.
0: I think with the um, surface thing, I think for a player like Alcaraz, I think we're past the days of top 10 players having significant surface specialty. A player in the top 10 is you know, that that, that doesn't mean some will do better than others. Like we've talked about seats of pass and maybe he's yep. got to adjust, but if you're in the top 10, you're pretty much fine on all surfaces because all surfaces are pretty much fine for you too.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean,
0: grass is slower, clay's faster. So we're no longer in the, I used to call it the sphere of influence era, where you had your Moosters and your Brugueras on clay, Richard Krychek's and Goraniewicz's on grass, and they could have top 10 careers while Mm -hmm. doing that. But see, the game is such now, the surfaces are much more homogenous than they used to be. Um, I always bring up the 32 seeds as a certain kind of performance enhancement that aids that aids things. So I don't count him out, I don't count him in yet. I mean, he's, he's, uh-huh. he's going to eventually do great at Wimbledon, I think, but this is a little bit of his starting period at Wimbledon and just adjusting to all sorts of things from the eyeballs to playing on show courts to opponents. And even though it's still slower, it's still grass.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, look, it'll be his third ever grass court match against truth. I mean, that doesn't count. I'm not counting the juniors and I'm sure he's has experience maybe, uh, growing up, but, but as far as professional senior tour matches go, it'll be his third ever when he plays truth. So that's, that's the mystery. That's the question mark. And as Joel mentioned, there are things to get used to, but ultimately, uh, it's, I agree with, with what you said, Amy, it's insane to, pin him as like a clay quarter right now uh, when first of all his results on hard court were were right there and like here's an ultra offensively minded player like why why couldn't that be great on grass you don't think so Joel
0: no 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 I absolutely think so who, who show me the person Show me the person whoever, who the thing called him a a clay quarter. And I think that's complete idiocy. No, I think he's a total contender on grass, particularly the way tennis play these days. That's my point. I think he's, he's, this is not, um, this is not 1983. And he's a, a dirt baller with a Western, (laughs) he's an all court player. And we saw that in this whole run through hard courts and clay. He knows how to, he's got as complete a game as any teenager you've ever, I've ever seen.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, First round, we always like to to, to give it a shout-out. I actually haven't looked at any head-to-heads or anything, but uh, Sun Wu Kwan, um, he's uh, he's a great ball striker. Like, he hits, you know, he's got a good back end. He hits the ball really well. Uh, but he's one of those, like, smaller players who isn't all that quick. So, uh, you know, it, it feels like he's got a ton of racket talent, a ton of arm talent, uh, but just doesn't, the athleticism, the body isn't there to really become um, a top 30 player. Uh, any thoughts um, Joel on, on what we could expect to see from Quan Djokovic in round one?
0: They played in 2021 in Belgrade, Novak beat him 6-1, 6-3. Um, I think we're gonna see a great many rallies and it's gonna be sometimes what I call a, a compensated practice session. <laughs> I mean, <laughs>
1: that's
0: how I see it kind of going, I mean, There'll There's will be, of- be a lot of
1: pace, I, I think. I think the rallies are going to be very fast-paced. You know, Quan right. doesn't really back up off the baseline. Neither does Novak. Um, I think they'll enjoy going backhand to backhand. And-
0: yeah, and Novak will say, and so then the thing for Quan, and this is where you see the summit of a player's learning development, and this is just how it kind of goes in tennis. It's like, what's he going to innovate? Because, oh, he's going to go backhand to backhand with Novak. Yeah, <laughs> right. You have that all day, buddy and but the neat thing is now over the last twenty years since the grass has gotten slower, it'll be fun to watch. There'll be nice rallies, and it'll be there'll be some exertion and'll and there'll be a moment where where Quan'll be in a cross court rally, and Quan will redirect a foreign down the line. it'll be an untouchable winner, and they'll get the the applause of center court and it'll feel tremendous and then Novak will go, okay, back to business
2: yeah, barring some highly unusual turn of events. I, I don't even think it'll be that fun to watch, to be honest. Um, I mean, there, there are some really interesting first round matches in the men's draw, like that Murray match, Duckworth, that one of you guys mentioned, Sinner of Avrinka. Um this one, uh, I'll have to, you know, make time to watch it. Um, and I anticipate it'll probably go quick. I, I'm actually a little more interested in the Kokonakis potential matchup yeah. uh, in the next round. And Jera, um, who, you know, as we know, had a very interesting match against Novak this year. So um, I, I'm, I have to admit, I'm kind of looking past the first round already.
1: Fair. I, I think Kokonakis will will beat Jera. Um, that's I'll just throw that out there. Okay. Uh, but but we'll see. Let's go to Rafa Nadal. Um, Nadal on the bottom half as the number two seed. It's such an interesting Wimbledon history for Rafa. There have been three parts to his career, I feel. He made the final. Uh, Every year he played from 2006 to 2011, and twice he won it. In 2008, one of the most significant matches of his entire career, uh, beating Federer in the final, and he won it again in 2010. Then he went through a stretch in time where, unlike we've really ever seen at a major from Nadal, uh, he kept getting upset uh, early. He he lost. Uh, he took a loss to Dustin Brown. Uh, he took a loss to Lucas Rosol. He took a loss um, to Gilles Muller in round four in 2017. Um, I always forget. I always forget the name of the. The Belgian player who beat him. Does anyone remember? Darcy,
0: Steve Darcy.
1: Yeah, Steve Darcy. Uh, okay, so that was no quarterfinals from 2012 to 2017. That was kind of, you know, we we can there were reasons for it, but we haven't seen anything like that. Now, the last two years Nadal has played Wimbledon. Have to go back to 2018 and 2019. In 18, he made the semifinal and played an epic against Djokovic. It was 10-8 in the fifth. And if Nadal had won that match, which he was, of course, very close to doing, he probably would have won Wimbledon in 2018. Um, he would have been the heavy favorite against Kevin Anderson in the final. Then in 2019, I'd say he got handled pretty, you know, pretty comfortably by Roger Federer in the semifinal, um, Federer being in top form um, at that year's Wimbledon. So uh, with all of that, Nadal Wimbledon history I mean Joel where does that leave us in 2022
0: wow you know it's funny Rafa never makes it easy for anyone his whether his opponents or his chroniclers You was know, like that was a whole <laughs> little, that was a whole yeah, little saga so about <laughs> Rafa and Wimbledon and uh and it's kind of funny and it and and we were wondering um a few weeks ago if Rafa was going to play Wimbledon but then he won Roland Garros yeah. and he's won the Australian and now here he is it's kind of like yet a new day and and Based on what I've come to understand about Nadal, all the stuff that we've recited and that we know—I I, I mean, I love that explanation of his Wimbledon journey. He doesn't care about it all. He—it's he, like here he is now. What's my next match? What's my next point? And I'm excited to see him at, at Wimbledon this year. I'm—it's funny. I kind of—I kind of like his draw. I think his draw is pretty, uh, pretty good. pretty open, but then it's going to be—he's going to work. He's going to never underestimate a single opponent. And I, I guess my care concern most of all with the doubt, health, health. What goes on with the foot? How the foot is throughout the fortnight. That's what I care most about and see that that's gonna be okay. He said how he doesn't wanna have the injections. And so what's that gonna mean? What's the status of the foot? That's where I see it.
2: I definitely think that this quarter is the most interesting of the entire draw. Um, you know, I was looking up some of the records of like, okay, so Nadal's got Chilich in his quarter. Um, Marin's record on grass is 80 and 32. Not only is that a stellar record, it's just so much more experience than a lot of these young guys in this tournament, FAA uh, record on grass, 22 and eight phenomenal both these guys are in rafa's quarter um you know query is a good grass court player but as i mentioned earlier i went back and watched that 2019 was it sem- quarterfinal yeah quarterfinal um, and and query had previously made a semi-final but um rafa handled him just so not easily but just um made, you know, it was like a masterwork kind of thing. It was used the slice a lot on the backhand side, um, came forward a lot, was was doing his flicks and his his defense. And um, I looked at his return position, which is always interesting because He really can't stand that far back at Wimbledon. Um, So it was a nice medium return position. It wasn't right up close to the baseline, but it wasn't back in Timbuktu. Um, I mean, the guy can play on grass. He knows what to do. Um, But this draw, back to my earlier point, this draw is the most sort of fraught and interesting. He's got some good servers like Fritz in this quarter. And um, then he's got players like um, the young guy Runa, and um, and then he's got Evans, Dan Evans. So it's a and, and then Jack Sock, who qualified for Wimbledon, great server, um, has won a doubles title there. All these guys are in Rafa's quarter, so it, it's definitely interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I agree that it's a very interesting quarter with a lot of players who. Who are worth some, um, some uh, a lot of respect, I think, coming into this Wimbledon? Uh, Sam Query, Joel, is probably the best counter argument that there are no grass court specialists anymore. Uh, because I did a calculation, uh, that I was calling a Query match, um, and I did a calculation of his rankings, uh, coming into the grass court season, and 85% of his points were grass court points.
0: Wow, this is exactly my point. See, it's funny. It used to be there were fast court, grass court, all court players, and clay court specialists. And clay was considered kind of the, the niche. I think the game is now, the tennis is about clay court, hard court, uh, baseline prowess. That's the game. And actually, there are fast court specialists. So just in the same way that once upon a time, someone like Mooster was a clay courter, Query is a fast quarter. And that's right. So there you go. That that study you did of his of his point gathering. Yeah, he's a he's a grass court specialist. So that makes him dangerous. And obviously, particularly because of his of his serve. And right. yet
2: Rafa made mincemeat of him.
1: Well, right. So then you know,
2: this- it's just that's that's why we do this show, folks. Right. Like <laughs> <laughs> and, and
1: but here's the thing, like you look at you look at uh big I can say big four history here because Murray was right there in terms of by this metric. You know, how often does the dangerous floater actually take out one of these guys? No,
0: well, That's why they're a floater. I mean, in a way it's like a floater is not a winner. So a floater can stir things up. It reminds me of a term um, a player said to me once who's talking about certain players. He goes, this guy, call, we call these kind of guys stoppers. They stop the people from winning the tournament who should win the tournament sometimes, but they don't win the tournaments
2: then they stop themselves which well, would be which would be curious right
0: <laughs> and then they get they get beaten and then they get beaten and things and and that's why that's why they're floaters and that's that's the way it kind of goes and so in the Nadal I was going to ask you guys what's the style, besides serving well obviously serving well what else do we what else does someone do to play to beat Nadal on on grass I mean Who would you map
2: that? <laughs> Dead silence.
0: I that I'll I'll give that player. I want that player. I want that player to have the Adel Potro, curious, extraordinarily dynamic
1: forehand. So, so I guess what I'll say, like you, I need one to thing keep him came defending. to mind for
2: me. Go ahead, Gil. One thing just immediately gut popped into my mind. But go ahead. I want to hear what you have to say.
1: Yeah, I, I think you know pace absorption. Uh, the re- returning of of very big serves on grass, um, and you know you, you have to make Nadal defend and to try to uh, absorb pace um, on on grass because it's not. I'd say like on on clay that is that seems very impossible to beat Nadal that way, and on grass I I think we have seen it done.
0: Well, no, look at those 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 upset guys, and it's funny I was strolling through the qualifying draw and I saw Lucas Rosal and I thought, wow, here's this guy. Wait, what happened? I, I beat Nadal at Wimbledon and now here I am back in the qualifying and Nadal is 36 and he's won the first two majors of the year. I mean, yeah, those, those Wimbledon losses Nadal had in those years were, were kind of revelatory and kind of strange. It's like he, he won the French and there he was at Wimbledon. He's knocked off. And then it, like Nadal, though, you see, you see how much more offense he's added to his game in recent years to not be pinned on his heels so yeah mapping out i mean again the the guy who beats Nadal is the guy who's having a great great forehand day whether it was robin soderling at roland garros in 09 whether it's a curious i mean serve forehand a big big plus one kind of day
2: i think dustin brown served and volleyed a lot if i remember yes. that match um nope. The the first thing that popped into my head is something a little unconventional. Um, I think you disrupt Rafa's rhythm as best you can between the points, because if Rafa doesn't get his, his time and his, you know, and he doesn't get into his, um, you know, routines, um, he can find that very disruptive so I would actually consider serving a little faster and Roger is a is a fast between the point kind of guy especially on his serve and he's had success against Rafa um other than that I would try to force him to like Joel said defend and and get into that mode where he's relying on his wits and then just pray
1: so you're resorting to gamesmanship
2: not gamesmanship you're you're allowed just like rafa takes his time and and does his on server's pace you are also allowed if you're more comfortable to quicken the pace on your serve um you're you're well within your rights to do that um how you manage your time between the points can be critical
1: yeah i I was kind of just joking but but you know it's a little bit less uh It's an unconventional plan as opposed to when compared to like attack the backhand or something. like that.
2: Right. But it was the first thing that popped into my head. So I had to kind of let that out.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. My recollection of the 2011 Wimbledon final where Novak beat Rafa is that Novak was kind of flatter, more penetrating uh, court space. You know, I think on grass court positioning is really important because even if it's more managed grass than it used to be more, you know slower and a little more a little less prone to bad bounces it's still grass bounces so that's why one of the things I think makes Novak so great on grass is again his his footwork posture and his compact strokes you know the the way he's able to address the ball early it reminds me in his way of an Agassi an Agassi or even you go way back to O'Connor's that kind of balance and ability to kind of and not just absorb and redirect but to direct to take away time and
1: They'll you know, press right.
0: people.
1: And that's why it's essential that on grass, Nadal flattens out the forehand. That's right. Um, especially if he's playing Djokovic, you know, he needs to go down the line very, very often with the forehand, which I actually think he did in that 2018 semifinal. And he just got outserved in that match so significantly that I think that ultimately did him in. But I think from the baseline, he had the right idea uh, against Novak in that match.
0: That was a tremendous match. We played over two days, and uh, I, was at that, I was at that match, and I remember it started after the epic Isner, Kevin Anderson. Well, the mini epic for Isner. It was only 26-24, and the quality of the tennis was just great uh, with Novak and Rafa, but I think you're absolutely right, Gil, that, that down-the-line forehand because the, the cross-court exchange that Nadal so enjoys on clay with the high bounce, it's like, Novak, okay, you want to do that? Okay, we're Okay. Yeah.
2: It's so funny how, though, Nadal still uses it. He still uses the heavy topspin forehand on grass some.
0: Well, it's his, um, it's his technique. I mean, yeah. he's, he's no able to discard that than, like, Novak's fairly flat. I mean, this is, these are the things, and it's like, I know for all the talk about adjusting and different things, but when you're in the top three in the world for 15 years, the other folks are the ones being forced to do the adjusting.
2: Yeah, and if, and if you can do that accurately, I mean, a, a, a topspin forehand shot is just not about how much the ball tops. I mean, the court also is worked from side to side as well. So if you have the accuracy that Nadal has, then um, it's definitely part of your arsenal on any surface.
0: I, I'd be curious, I wonder what some of the chats are in the Nadal camp about, okay, how do we go about Wimbledon this year? I mean, and how we, how points are built in the sequences. And and I know there's a, you know, Novak, there's been a lot, there's been some more known about the Novak approach to points and strategy. And I mean, we've had talks with our, our colleague, Craig O'Shaughnessy. It's a little more of a, of a vault with Rafa about what that is. I mean, we see it. Yeah. What goes, we don't know. We don't know as much about the behind the scenes dialogue.
1: With return position, I think Moya... Uh, helped him a lot because I think Tony was killing him honestly with the return position Tony was like you have to stand on the baseline and Nadal was coming from Roland Garros where he was returning from the back fence and then he's standing on the baseline against Lucas Roussel's 130 mile per hour first serves and looked completely uncomfortable and I think Moya has allowed him to or encouraged him to find the middle ground and you know give himself a little bit of time and stand back you know to, to an extent. Uh, and I think that's really helped him. Um, so I, I have observed that in recent years.
0: Maybe that's why we're a little intrigued to see the a potential Felix Rafa quarter yet again yeah. to
2: mm-hmm. at
0: it. And, and and the Tony influence and Tony knows about Rafa that that's, that's a nice little plot line.
2: Felix, by the way, has a tough first round match. He's got to serve a serve and volleyer and Cressy, um, yep. That's that's a little unfortunate for Cressy because he's someone who could make waves, you know, with a with a few wins at Wimbledon and then he gets FAA in the first round.
1: He'll, yeah. he'll embrace, he'll embrace that though. Like if he's on center court and, and he's the underdog, he's got, he's got an interesting like personality where mm. he thinks he's going to be number one in the world. <laughs> uh, and again, I'm not hating, like, it's awesome. I like it, <laughs> You're but about he'll, he'll enjoy it.
0: You're talking about Cressy that match. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I doubt, I doubt that match will be played on center court. I, I doubt no? that. Match will be played on really? Because it's, cause it's going to be um, let's see, that's going to be Wednesday. And Nadal is going to play at least one match on center court. And then let's look at that half of the draw. We've got other people. We've got last year's finalist, Berrettini. Um, I just um, okay I got Fritz and Musetti. I mean, I just don't, I just have a hard time seeing that they're going to put. Uh, yeah, got- that's
2: a good point, Joel. You've sold me on that um, because who is Cressy? You have and- women's, <laughs> match,
0: yeah, women's matches. You know, Felix, you'll have your time for center court a little yeah. bit later. I mean, I haven't looked through the draw. Oh, we have Dan Evans. I mean, there's a number of factors that yeah. go into the uh, the All England center court assignment. You got three matches on center court.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. You're right.
0: One's a Dow, right. one's a Dow, one's a woman's match.
2: Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: Maybe two or actually two or women's matches, maybe. I haven't quite quite and, and
2: that. potentially Berrettini.
0: Potentially Serena
1: Williams.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay um
2: joel you could run the tournament
1: yeah (laughs) basically does Uh, before we we move on and we're going to end this conversation with just talking about the effect of the the points situation um joel will plead the fifth on this i believe but amy i will put you on the spot you can also plead the fifth um nadal Berrettini tomorrow they play tomorrow who's the favorite
2: um you're so you're saying hypothetically if they were yeah, to play yeah um like what's
1: your because oh, with gosh, Djokovic, you really I, are
2: putting me well, on look, the Djokovic.
1: Spot. I'll, I'll just say uh, well I'll give you time to think Djokovic okay. is kind of a consensus favorite uh I think as far uh, I don't think anyone would really argue with that right now Uh I think you would get some arguments when it comes to that number two spot is it Nadal or might it be someone who has from a record standpoint, absolutely dominated the grass, like, like Matteo Berrettini, or to a lesser extent, uh, if you really don't believe in Nadal, then you might make an argument for uh, a, a Harcaccia or, or a Felix.
2: Well, I mean, I was just going to say, um, both Berrettini and Rafa have been hurt. You know, Berrettini's coming off of his hand surgery, and I did see him in the Queen, even though he won Queens, I did see him doing like this and some of the changeovers Um, and then of course we have rafa's foot so it's it's that's a a tough one to call but i'm actually going to have to write a preview pretty soon and and look at that um i never bet against rafa you guys know that
0: so what are you going to do when he plays files yeah but you don't bet you also don't (laughs) okay all right so you know it's our show Yeah, yeah,
2: I'll plead the fifth from here on out.
0: Okay, I'll get I'll answer Gil. I thought about this. I'm glad you gave me some space because I think there are three things. There's the market, there's the desire, there's the prediction, right? It kind of splits into three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I could see the marketplace. I mean, that's why I that's why I kind of at one level despise the marketplace of things. So I could see the marketplace based on results and the health, giving the slight, you know, the slight favorite edge to Berrettini. Okay, fine. He's been doing well on grass the dial what's with the injury so he's the analytical thing says that my desire would be to see a good match and i don't i don't care and then the prediction is i don't know who do you think and i think this stuff gets so this stuff and i see this also on the on social media gets so balanced between the deployment of what of emotion to justify intellect and intellect to justify emotion so (laughs) enough I don't know I think I just want most of all if they play I want it to be a really good match I mean I really like I was so impressed by Berrettini. I'm so glad to see him back fully healthy and playing well so mm-hmm. there aren't there aren't slips there aren't ankles there aren't groins there he is he's right in there so there you go you're right Gil so that's my clever way of pleading the fifth
1: okay uh I, what about I like you Me you like Nadal, Nadal. Nadal, okay. Nadal, yeah. Okay. You know Berrettini. Um,
0: We're doing a show on Nadal. We like Nadal.
1: <laughs> well, no, but seriously, I mean, I would say like if I if 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 that match happened tomorrow and I like Berrettini, I would obviously say it. And but but no, um, I I think I actually think that uh, I think Nadal is a of tier above um, in term, and I don't think grass changes that. And uh, look, Matteo, for as good as he's been.
2: Um, he has the weakness and Nadal knows how to exploit it. Yeah. Like
1: what we saw the matchup in Australia and how, how predictable and kind of the way that match went, you know, Berrettini's lost his last 10 matches, uh, against top 10 players. So, I, I mean, there's a, there's a legitimate issue with Berrettini when it comes to, uh, winning, winning off the ground, I think winning from the baseline against all, uh, great players. And I, I fully think Nadal's return is at a level where Berrettini can't coast on a serve uh like he can against most of the field. So I'll just leave it at that. And and let's um let's go to the points question. Uh there will be none. Djokovic will will drop in the rankings uh significantly after uh this event um you know let's I, wherever the conversation goes, it goes. But uh, for this Wimbledon specifically, Joel, for Wimbledon 2022, uh, do you think we'll see any effect on on the players when it comes to their psyche and you know their ability to compete at this event like it's any other ordinary year?
0: I've come to play the most important tournament in the world, and that's what matters. And the other thing I've also come to see about tennis players all the external factors they just like to compete they want to compete and there they are playing tennis matches and here they're competing at the most important event in the world they're aware of this thing about points but that's not really in their head so I think they're going to play pretty darn good and then of course if they lose if a player loses earlier than that player desires whether they're a seed who loses in the second round or or cetera, then they can kind of rationalize it and feel okay about it subsequently. But in the moment, they will compete. Just like they, just like they do in practice matches and in tournament matches. I think it's gonna be, but it will be interesting. And I think that down the road, it's gonna make the year-end rankings a little peculiar. I mean, that's what's gonna be strange. It's gonna remind me, there have been years like this way back in tennis where the slams weren't weighted as much. And sometimes the person who finished the year number one hadn't won a slam. The person who won multiple slams was ranked number two. And so there's going to be some odd ways in which we look at this year.
2: I feel separately about the points situation than I do, and and the points being withheld from Wimbledon, than I do about Novak's um, situation in particular i just don't think that when you get right down to it novak cares that much about ranking points or whether he's one two three or four in the world um i think what he wants is grand slams and um so whether he finishes year in number one or I, I just don't think it matters and i know it matters anymore, to,
1: right anymore right because, he's got he all has, those records. He has he's, the records.
2: He's blown by them. I mean, and and he could again if he wanted to. Um, he could play a bunch of tournaments that he doesn't really care to play. I mean, he's proven himself on that front. Um, so it whether he's one, two, three, or four in the world. I mean, he probably doesn't want to you know fall too far out of the the top five because. Then you start to get tougher first round opponents in tournaments and grand slams. But um, I d- just don't think it matters. So I would beg Novak's fans not to obsess over that and just enjoy this tournament. And I do think the fact that uh, Medvedev is not there um, and, and Rublev and Hachinov, Unfortunately, I think that's going to kind of fade as soon as the tournament gets underway. I've seen this time and time again where the biggest of controversies just fall by the wayside as people dial into the action.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I I do think that Medvedev is going to do some big things at Wimbledon at some point in his career. Uh, I think he's just figuring out the return, you know, one step away from being a massive contender at Wimbledon. Um, so I think that's significant, but I agree with you from a storyline perspective. I think some players will have a built-in excuse, you know, that this, that I think will be in their head. I think those are mentally weaker players, but I I do think the fact that there are no rankings points, uh, it is going to give certain players, uh, an escape valve in their mentality when it comes to how hard they're competing, uh, will that be a problem with Djokovic and Nadal? I think not at all. They're, they're gunning for history. They are, um, they, they understand, I guess, what their goals are for, for Wimbledon and how significant it is. Uh, but uh, do I think, do I think Riley Opalka can be out there and something trickles into his brain that says, screw it? Uh, yes, I do think that could happen.
2: Um, He's already called it an exhibition. That was the yeah. name that popped into my head immediately when you said that.
1: There Essentially you go. given
0: someone who has all the tools to win Wimbledon. I mean, yeah. he's, he's got – but so we'll see. So we'll see. I mean, this gets to the whole thing about what they think, what they feel, how they say it, and the thing I love about uh, covering a sport, it doesn't matter. It's how they perform. And so we watch the matches. Like you said, you're so right, Amy. The action will, will, will melt away the, uh, the broader – not the broader, the off-court dialogue that's occurred around points and some horrible political things and war and all of that.
1: Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, Francisco Sarindolo, I I just realized as I was going through my checklist, I I didn't mention Nadal's first-round opponent, so we'll end on this. Uh, He's one of the highest, I got to say, right, I I think he's one of the higher-ranked players you could draw um, in terms of the unseeded because I think he's in the top 40 uh, m- mainly because of the Miami run um if i'm if i'm not mistaken and i'll check this in a moment uh but uh he's got a big forehand Joel do you have any thoughts on uh francisco surrendola oh,
0: again i think yeah but again i just think that's a that's a big ask for him this one will likely be on center court mm-hmm.
2: and
0: uh taking on nadal and nadal swarming and moving and running and again i don't know what 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 the what's his approach to beating Nadal's I don't I don't think he's that big a server no so actually to, it's
1: it's more of a get me in
0: okay so you need those um you need you need some of those free points against Nadal you need to do that you need a lot of taking the racket out of his hands so Nadal's is going to look at and say okay I'm going to take your measure I'm going to respect you and we're going to joust for an hour a couple hours
2: I see that one is very similar to Novak's yeah. first round match. And I'm already looking ahead to query, but, yep. um, you know, we, we also don't know about Rafa's health. So that, that'll be, it'll be a good first round match for Novak to look at his mentality and it'll be a good first round match for Rafa to look at his health.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Surindolo, just to, uh, cover bases 42 in the world. So it is indeed one of the higher-ranked players you can draw uh, as a seeded player in the first round, uh, but it, it's not uh, his best surface. There are definitely some players who uh, who could have been more disastrous to to draw, if we will put it that way. Looking forward to Wimbledon 2022. We will have coverage here on three. That'll do it for this episode. Remember. We're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of Three.